Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back. Let's do a quick recap on the journey we have taken so far so that if this happens to be your first night, you can catch up with us. And if it's your third night, then you'll um, be able to follow along real quickly before we take our deep dive. Um, we all know that anxiety costs us, uh, it's exhausting, it's frustrating, and it is just discouraging. Would anyone agree with that? Would anyone add more words to that? Or that kind of cover most of them? It's a big one. Debilitating. That's a very good one. Very good one. Very good one. We also learned what anxiety is. Anxiety is two things, actually. It's the fear of loss. What am I going to lose? Am I going to um, have something that's precious to me and it's going to be gone? Or am I facing a problem that I don't know how to solve? And so I'm kind of stuck like Chuck and you don't know what to do. Those are the two primary categories that, that anxiety falls under. Make sense? And we know where anxiety comes from. It's that worst case scenario thing that's based upon previous or past experiences that didn't turn out so good. So you're constantly scanning and watching out for um, terrible things that are gonna happen. That survival brain is trying to make sure you don't get hurt again. It's a wonderful system that we have built that God's kind of put in place for us. And all of it boils down to one big word. Anxiety comes from the C word. What is it? Yes. We love to be in control overall, right? And we don't like being out of control. We also looked at a bunch of techniques. That was last week uh, of things that we should do to kind of alleviate the symptoms, and, uh, but they don't work good long term. So a lot of us have tried the just think different approach. If I can just change my mind, then I'm going to do better. The breathing, the meditation, the relaxation, eating different foods, exercise, that's the worst one on the list. Um, we just don't want to feel that anxiety and all these things, again, tend to treat symptoms rather than root causes. And so last week I said, let's try something different. What did I suggest? the acceptance-based solutions. Counterintuitive, it doesn't make any sense. So we had two techniques in there. It was the um, speak out to reduce the freak out. Make it real, say it out loud, just like Chelsea was describing. When you get it out of your head, your brain stops having to keep chewing on it, trying to make it better. When it's out here, actually what it does is it creates congruence within our system. Inside and outside are lined up, and our brains go, ah, isn't that nice? And that would be great if we could get to that, right? That'd be perfect. Um, we also heard uh, actually a pretty sad story about um, Holly's dog that was killed and that was kind of traumatizing for some other people and this new puppy that she's had and trying to keep it safe. And that's just one of a hundred stories that's in, in the room right now of the anxiety that you guys are sitting in and trying to figure out. What is the goal? We want to be able to do what? We want to move it from anxiety to what? We haven't actually talked a lot about that. Instead of being anxious, you would like to have what? Ooh, someone said the word already. How about confidence? Does that make sense? Does that seem reasonable? How many would go, I would love to be confident no matter what I'm doing. I know how to handle this. This would be good. Me too. You got a question? Well, I was, think, I was taking that word apart and I was thinking, 
Right. And with, with faith. Yes. With faith. That's very interesting because we might spend some time there tonight. Um, as human beings, we function on three primary levels to kind of work through our problems in life, to handle um, um, what we want to do, how we want to move through this life. We usually operate, oh, sorry. This is a quote. This is a quote that a client said to me this week as we were talking about her anxiety. She said, I just don't need another thing to do to deal with this anxiety because now I just have one more thing to worry about. Am I doing it right? What do, I, I, can't, I can't do all the other things, and so you want to teach me one more stinking technique? Are you serious? I can't, I can't do the 42 I already know. Anyone resonate with that? It's like, oh, yeah, I, I, okay, very, very good. So what are we going to talk about? <laughs> I don't know. No, we actually went through a lot of this stuff, but it's, again, it's, it's real, it's relevant, it's right now. How many of you go, I just don't want another technique. I want to change deep down inside. I want to deal with this and to get it resolved finally. That's what we're going for. And again, that's a lot harder thing to actually produce because again, the, the, the three steps to, to inner peace, that's a great, you know, online program or video that you can click on YouTube, but does it actually work? We're looking for things that actually have long-standing results-based stuff. So that's, that's what I said in this week with one of my clients. Now, like I was saying, as humans, we operate on three primary levels. First, we have the thinking level. Well, this is where cognitive behavioral therapy, if I can change my thoughts, I can change my feelings, and then I can actually feel better. That's one popular approach, and it's a very real, very valid approach. Then there is um, the feelings level, that's the next one down, which is um, I have all of these feelings and I need to be able to regulate my affect, if you want to have some fancy psychological terms around it. I need to be able to um, uh, control what's going on. This is where a lot of trauma therapists help people who are, are wrestling with some level of trauma and their system is, again, is telling them by feelings, not rationally, but by feelings, danger, danger, uh, avoid things. And so you have to deal with the feelings level. And most people stop right there. And they bounce between those two things. Well, if we can change our thinking, well, if we can change our feelings, and it's actually a two-way street. Oftentimes, feelings lead to thinking. That'd be fair to say. And sometimes, thinking leads to feelings. It's not always just a one-way street. So a lot of people have said you have to work on both. But tonight, that's not where we're going to spend some time. Know what the third level is? Spiritual, we are going to call it believing. There is a deeply held belief level that if you don't actually address and be able to change that level, then these other two things actually are, are, tend to be slave to that level. So for instance, it's the clients who come in and they say genuinely with their thinking brain, I really want to get better. I'm sick and tired of not being able to do my job well. I'm sick and tired of, of, of struggling through this stuff. And I know that I need to get better. I need to change these behaviors. I need to adjust this thing in my life. I'm, I'm aware of that. Thinking level, check. And if I do that, I'm going to feel really, really good about myself. It'll be nice to have that feeling of confidence. It'll be nice to be able to solve all these problems. Feelings, check. And then we talk about, do you believe you can actually change? And if you are honest, they go, well, no. I mean, this is just how I am. I'm always going to struggle with this. This is just how my family's wired. I, I would like to change. It's good for me to change. I don't think I can change. 
To see how that belief level has the ultimate power, it can sabotage thinking and feeling. And I would challenge some of you right now to actually wonder, do you struggle with that belief level? Is there that, that deeper dialogue inside that says, I am inherently flawed. I am screwed up and I actually probably can't change. I can't get better. I'm always gonna struggle with this. No one's gonna love me. I'm always gonna be worthless. What's the point? But I'm gonna try one more program. I'm gonna read one more book and I'm gonna try one more thing and I'm gonna get exhausted like my client up there. Tonight we're dealing with the belief level and it is the harder level. But I, I absolutely guarantee and I know confidently that if you can change that level, everything else falls into place. Now again, this is not a quick fix. This isn't a one time, 20 minutes, congratulations, you've changed your entire belief system and paradigm of how you see the world. You're all better. Thank you very much. Have a good day. If I could sell that, I would charge a lot of money and I would retire very, very quickly. Um, the stuff we're going to talk about tonight. Quick. Hello. Sorry. If you are Luna's mother, can you meet me on the back, please? Luna. All right. The concepts that we're going to wrestle through tonight, I'm going to ask you to, um, if you feel yourself having a little bit of resistance to it, listen. <clears throat> listen all the way through and see if you can get the whole picture of what we're going to talk about. Because here's what's really nice about tonight. Most of tonight isn't actually my thoughts. Makes it easy. Most of tonight is actually what Scripture has to say, and I'm going to walk us through an argument that, that, that Scripture has lined up for us to see if we can actually apply it to our life. Not knowing, again, knowing, thinking isn't enough. We have to be able to integrate and, and put it into our lives. And our 21st century ears don't always like what we have to say here. But we're going to try it anyway and see what happens. Has um, any of you, as you've read through Scripture, come across the passage that says, oh, we're going to work on the feeling, do not be anxious about anything. Sound familiar? Philippians 4, very good. How many of you go, that feels a little simplistic. That feels a little too, I mean, come on, give me a break. Just Stop being anxious. Don't be anxious. It's, it's not even a suggestion. If you feel like it, don't be anxious. No, no, no. Do not be anxious about anything. And it's like, come on, Paul. Are you kidding me? Have you seen the things that I'm struggling with in my life? If you only knew the people that are in my life and what I was dealing with, this wouldn't apply. What are you thinking? Why would you tell me to do that? But it is in there, and it is um, something that I believe that we can actually at uh, attain and, and strive for. Let's actually read the whole passage and see what it says. Here it is. And by the way, this is going to be a super heavy PowerPoint um, portion of the thing tonight because I want you to read it for yourself. Man, sorry, my throat is doing a thing tonight. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, uh, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. Basically, it says you don't have to worry about anything. But here's what's really ironic. This is Philippians 4. This is the end of the book. This is the last chapter in the book. All of this doesn't make sense unless you actually go back and go, what led up to this statement? How did we get here? And how can he make such a claim? So instead of just pulling that one passage out and trying to apply to our life, let's look at the whole argument that got us up to that part. Does that make sense? Here we go. Here's what Philippians says. We're going to Philippians 1. I thank my God every time I remember you, being confident in that, in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. I'm going to suggest there's the word that we're looking for, being confident. If the opposite of anxiety is confidence, then in Philippians 1, he's just set the bar saying, this is what I want you to be able to have. But what are we going to be confident in? I want you to be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Do you hear the process language in that? You ain't there yet. You haven't arrived. It's coming, but you're not there yet. And this is the goal, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the, until the day of Christ. And then, whether I am in chains or, def or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Do you see there his physical comfort, his happiness? Where is he at? Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in the grace. He's going, my circumstances are not actually dependent upon whether I have confidence or not. He's actually laying down the framework that says, I am not in a good place. I am in chains. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. This is what he wants for us. Okay? Our love may abound more. Again, no conversation of happiness, no conversation of comfort. Why? Why does he want that for us? Here's what it says. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of Christ Jesus. No mention of comfort, no mention of being happy, no mention of finding your true purpose in life, no mention of being fulfilled. This is what it is to be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We are being refined while we are on this planet. That is the goal. We are being shaped. And oftentimes we are being shaped through difficult circumstances. That's the refiner's fire. That's how you purify everything is you heat it up and you burn off all this stuff. This is, I'm going to suggest, Paul's argument of our purpose of life is to be refined and become better human beings as God has created us to be. <coughs> really sorry, guys. Let me... Keep this closer. <clears throat> Here it is. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So, what has happened to him? I am in chains for Christ. Do you hear any anxiety in that statement? My life is terrible. I am in prison. I am not where I want to be. And prison back then was not a happy place. It was not working out in the yard, building 
muscles and shooting hoops with all the other guys, you know, on, on, on cell block C. That wasn't what it is. I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear or anxiety. When you read this passage in an anxiety class, it's amazing what stands out, isn't it? Because here's the words again that we're looking for. We can become more confident in the Lord, not in ourselves, not in the government, not in our bosses. <clears throat> we can be confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel. How? Freaked out. Don't know what my life's about. Do it without fear or anxiety. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. There's a good set of friends you want to have. I am in jail. I am in chains. I am being tortured. And now you have a group of guys going, let's see if we can make it worse for Paul. Let's see. Oh, thank you so much. Let's see if we can really ruin his day. Anyone relate to that? It's like, just kick me when I'm down. I got a bad boss. I'm losing my house. My car just died. Someone stole my dog. My relationship with my wife is falling apart. And now there's people out there who are actually trying to hurt me. This is the context for this letter that's being sent. It is not warm and fluffy. But again, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Give me two seconds, everyone. I don't know what's going on. But what does it matter? Can we say that when our circumstances are not going good. Again, our brains are going, this has been really bad in the past, and so I'm scanning the future, trying to avoid problems. How many of you can arrive at that point that says, but what does it matter? I've lost everything, I'm in jail. What does it matter? The most important thing is that um, Christ is being preached. Do you hear his priority level? It's fascinating, truly fascinating. <clears throat> Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He just has to say it again because everyone's going, are you kidding me? What? Did I read that correctly? This is just a letter he he's written to the Philippian church. They're going, well, excuse me? I, I don't get it. So he says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Oh, good, Paul. We get to the good news. And they lived happily ever after. It all worked out. Everyone's okay, right? That's what our 21st century minds hear. That's how we go, okay, he's out of pain. He's out of suffering. He's not struggling anymore, right? Nope. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. If anxiety is the fear of losing something, losing reputation, losing those who are precious to you, losing comfort. And here Paul is going, I am okay 
to lose everything, including my life. That is the challenging thing that our brains don't like living on this continent in this time era. Are you kidding me? Someone's saying be prepared to die, give up that much comfort, and give up your life? I love the beginning of this, okay? I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. I will in no way be ashamed. I'm going, if I'm going down, I'm going down good. <clears throat> For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's called a win-win. In scripture, okay, this is the original win-win scenario. If I stay alive, <clears throat> if I don't die, I get to continue doing things like serving Christ and helping the poor and ministering to other people. There's no downside to that. None whatsoever. And if I die, guess who I get to hang out with now? There's no downside to that either. When there's no downside, do you think he has any anxiety? Do you think he has any fear? <clears throat> Again, long term. Do you think he's worried about this? He is so crystal clear on what his life needs to be that that anxiety starts to disappear. Isn't this fascinating? Whether, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. <clears throat> he says, this isn't just for me. I want you guys to do it as well. I want you to live the same way if possible. How? Striving together as one for the gospel without being frightened, there's our word again, anxious, in any way by those who oppose you. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He says you are going to get opposed. You're going to have people push against you. But I want you to strive together. That's the other word I like here. Striving together. You're not doing this alone. When you do it alone, you lose hope. But when you have people, you can do it and you don't have to be frightened. Four, it has been granted to you. This is, this is the kick, kick in the head of all the Philippians. Just listen to this and, and get your head wrapped around this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Yay. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Can you imagine getting people to sign up for that club? Hey, come on in. We've got great cookies. We have a meeting every week. And by the way, you're going to be tortured. You're going to suffer. You're going to be miserable and unhappy. Come on. For it has been granted to you. Congratulations. You win. How many want to sign up for that contest? Yes. It has been granted to you. It's not a burden. It's not being forced on you. It's your privilege. Here you go. You get to suffer for him. How does that sit with you? I want you to pay attention. In fact, <clears throat> we have to wait a minute. We have to just kind of pause right here and go, is that really what Scripture's saying? Is that what we are called to do? If we are Christ followers, why in the world would we sign up for that? That doesn't make any sense. And that's because I believe that we actually have a um, misunderstanding of what Christianity is supposed to be in our lives, especially in the Pacific Northwest and throughout um, Western culture here. Because if we have a misunderstanding of Christianity or have the wrong expectations of Christianity, it will never bring relief from anxiety. So let's do a, a quick example or, or run through of what is the actual... Um, context or how do we understand Christianity in, in today's society? Well, we usually start with right now. Oh, we usually start with right now. Here we are. And what do we usually want? What does Americans want primarily? 
Oh, we want happiness, right? Anyone disagree with that? Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. And so we go, what will it take for me to get from now to happiness? Well, we're going to try this thing called Christianity. I'm going to become a Christian because that's what everyone says. Become a Christian and you will be happy. All your, all your burdens are taken away. Jesus loves you. Um, you have a community now and you feel good until you read the fine print. Remember that part we just read in Philippians there? You're signing up and you get a chance to suffer. You get a chance to struggle. You get a chance to work through that stuff. And so a lot of people go, well, you know what? Christianity's not doing it for me. I'm going to try something else. Let's try Buddhism. I've told that that's pretty tranquil and quiet. So let's try, insert another world religion. Okay? If that one doesn't work, let's try Islam. If that one doesn't work, let's try Hinduism. Again, pick your religion. I don't care what it is. As long as one of those leads from now to happiness, as long as we can find that thing, then that's what I'm going to sign up for. Or if you don't like the world religion idea, we can go the other way, which is I'm going to go no God. I'm just going to be out there for myself. I'm going to do atheism. And we are all just kind of spinning on this planet. Or we can try hedonism. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. Just have as much pleasure as possible, and then that will get you to happiness, right? We can try activism. Pick your cause. Stand up for the thing that you believe in, and that will finally give you purpose and happiness. But their equation is still the same. Here we are now. What I want is happiness on my terms, and I have to pick this thing. That's why a lot of people go, there is, why does it have to be only one root to, to heaven. And again, happiness or heaven, we can equate that there. Can't all roads lead to heaven? Because they have this mentality. It's a utilitarian concept of what Christianity should be. And that is not at all what Christianity in Scripture teaches. It actually says, if you want to take who you are now, and you already understand that you can't find happiness in any of these things because they're not actually getting you there, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to come into your life. God says, I'm going to come into your life. And that thing that you've been striving for is never going to get you there. Will you trust me? And I'm going to take you in this whole other direction. And if you'll trust me and follow me, then you might actually find happiness and joy. But that requires two words. Surrender. How many of us like that word in 21st century brains? You want me to surrender and give up some rights? Give up control? I think you're out of your mind, Paul. I don't want any part of that. And so I'm going to go back to one of these things and try, if this, this, this one didn't work, I'm going to try the next thing. And round and round on the merry-go-round we go. This is, this is why we get so confused and why a lot of people actually... Um, struggle with Christianity because it says, can't Christianity just get me to happiness? That's still putting yourself as the epitome of what is right and wrong. What do I, how do I find my happiness? We have to be willing to surrender that. So again, this is why I'm asking you, if this is new to you, if this is challenging for you, just let's listen through it and, and, and let's wrestle through this together because this isn't, this isn't easy. I, I understand that. We are through Philippians 1. we got two more chapters to finally get to the anxious part here, so let's keep going. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, united in what? Okay, 
What are we united with? We are united in suffering. That's what that means. Um, If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. All of this isn't motivated by pleasure, it's motivated by love. We have the same mind. And now, again, we've just talked about this whole idea of suffering and what we get to sign up for. Why? Or the how. How do we do this? Well, we do it through. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. Can you imagine trying to sell that message here in Portland? I want you to stop trying to fight for your own rights. I want you to give up your rights for someone else. I want you to surrender. I want you to look out for someone else. And let's see what happens. That's a hard thing to consider in this day and age. And yet when when you're striving for what you want and the person next to you is striving for what they want and the person besides them is, and everyone's in each other's way, guess what that creates? You're in my way. I can't get what I want. I'm freaked out now. I'm anxious. And we start to recycle over and over and over and over again. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. There's that concept again. Not obedient to until he felt good. He emptied himself. He got taken advantage of. Should we even, we should use that word. I want you to sign up for something that you know you're going to get played and get taken advantage of. But by doing so, you're actually demonstrating love and care and compassion for the person that you're serving. I know it's going to cost me more than what I get out of it. That's hard to sign up for. And yet, most of us, most of us, if we've become parents, signed up exactly for that. You know what I mean? How many of you have had kiddos, and when the kiddo is born, it's like, excellent, I got someone to finally meet all of my needs. You're going to take care of me. You're going to watch out for me. You're going to make me happy. This is going to be great. Doesn't happen with, with kiddos, right? We, we have this understanding, I inherently am called to give more than I'm going to get. And we do it willingly and gladly. What would happen if we practice that with our spouse? You know what? You're doing things that's bugging the crap out of me. But you know what? That's okay, because I am in this marriage to serve you more than you serve me. It's okay. I'll get taken advantage of. Anyone feel that resistance going in on this side? That's not easy to hear. And yet, what would happen? What would happen if we actually did that? And if two people did that with each other in marriage, I'm going to see if I can outserve you. No, no, you, no way. You can't outserve me. I'm going to serve you. I actually, I've been studying you so much. I know exactly what you want. I made you your favorite dinner. Here's your favorite movie to watch. We're going to go to this fun thing I know that you love. I win. <laughs> no, I got you all. When we practice this, 
What happens? Holy smokes. But nope. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. This is crazy. So let's go back here because this is crazy again. Uh, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And everyone goes, the end. But here's the plot twist. This is what makes a really good movie. Nope. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Hold on. Wait a second. Time out. The, the, the person who gave of their life actually wins? Well, who put that in the rule book? If I would have known that, I would have played differently. But Christ did. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is the process. Paul is saying, this is what we're striving for. Continue to work it out. Okay? You're going to have to keep trying to figure this one out. Um, do nothing without grumbling or arguing. Paul has a pretty realistic understanding of humanity. You guys get on each other's nerves. You complain and you argue and you grumble and you, we know you don't like each other, but as a hint, do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service uh, uh, coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He sees his suffering as an act of service. Can you imagine that? I am really hating my boss right now. I really don't like him. He's driving me crazy. And I got to go to work and I got to see this guy every day. I will go there and I will endure his really bad management skills and crappy leadership ability. And I will do it as a way to serve God. What would change at work? Uh, an example. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy actually was talked about. He came and he served Paul. Timothy was kind of his, Paul's protege, and he started to learn how to figure out how to do this. And so he's sending Timothy to go, pay attention to this guy. He knows how to do it. I can't be there with you, but here's a guy who knows how to do it. Finally, we're to Philippians 3. If someone else thinks they have reason to put more confidence in the flesh, okay, so here's Paul. He's going, so let's stop again. I've asked you guys to suffer. I know that this is going to be hard. I know that, that it's challenging you, but here's the context. I want to show you um, exactly how powerful this is. So he uses himself as an example. If someone else thinks they have reason to put more confidence, see that word again, confidence, confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is, the, again, the original one-upping, okay? Paul does it. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Basically, he's saying, I have nothing to worry about. I'm in. I'm covered. I got it. If there's anyone based upon their own behaviors who doesn't have to worry about a thing, this is the guy. He's in. But what does he do? He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things.
he gives it all up because he recognizes it doesn't actually work. It doesn't sustain him. You can't work it out. You can't, you can't buy peace. You just can't do it. This is crazy. I consider them garbage. Garbage. Stuff to be thrown out. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That belief level again. Thinking, feeling, belief. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. There's the equation again. The previous chapter he goes, Christ emptied himself, he became a servant to everyone, and he was exalted in eternity. Paul goes, I like that recipe. I want to sign up for that. I buy it. So I'm going to get, I get rid of everything that was going to distract me from that. And I want to participate in his suffering. Woohoo! I'm going to become like him in his death. I'm willing to die. So somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Now, that's really important, by the way. He doesn't say, I'm willing to die, and then that's it. I'm willing to die a martyr's cause. If there was no something else, then this is a waste of time. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people say, I'm going to die for this cause, but there's really no hope afterwards. But I'm just going to die because it gives me purpose now. That is empty. Completely and totally empty. Because we have a hope in eternity, that is why we can give up the stuff now. Comfort, things, relationships. Not that I've already attained this, okay? Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Again, he's still kind of growing and struggling through this. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, passionate, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach or comfort and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. In my opinion, that is the reason why we have anxiety. That is the core. Our minds are set on the things that give us comfort that provide short-term happiness and we keep striving for the next thing and we're terrified of losing those petty little things. Notice that resistance. Notice what's going on inside you. Their mind is set on earthly things. I don't want to lose it. And now, we're to our passage. We're at the beginning of chapter 4 here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Why do we have to rejoice in the Lord? Because if you lose everything, you get to have a resurrection with him, and you're set for life. You've won the lottery. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again in case you didn't hear me. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. So stop right there. Don't read ahead. I know you are. Stop it. The phrase, do not be anxious about anything, absolutely cannot work unless you have the four words right before it. What are the four words right before it? The Lord is near. Therefore, this is the reason why, don't be anxious about anything. I had a um, youth pastor friend 
who was taking uh, two vans full of high school kids, 15, 15 passenger vans, 15 pass, yeah, passenger vans. They were on about a 10-hour road trip coming back from the river or somewhere like that, and they were up through some mountain passes. This is many, many years ago. <clears throat> and the van behind him was driven by one of his interns, and as they were driving, he looked in the rearview mirror as he watched this van swerve and then flip. This is a youth pastor, and he has 15 kids in the van right behind him. He hits the brakes, he backs up, the van is on its top, and there are kids trapped in the van. There are kids wandering all over the highway in this mountain pass. And this pastor's going, what in the world am I going to do? And he's in shock. He's trying to, he doesn't know where all the kids are. He didn't have any sort of tracking system for that or being able to account for everybody. This is back again in the old days when they didn't have all those things. And so for about 10, 15 minutes, he was unbelievably out of his mind. In fact, he says it was the worst moment of his life. And then the California Highway Patrol pulls up. The first cop shows up. And the cop gets out and says, who's in, who's in charge? And he goes, I am. And the guy says, not anymore. And he goes, the moment I heard those words, the relief that came over my body of somebody else has this situation. I'm not in control anymore and I can now be taken care of. That's the same thing that says, the Lord is near. You don't have to worry about anything. That's not the Lord is near and he's going to smack you down and he's going to make you feel really bad and he's going to convict you and he's going to be that punitive God. No, 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 no. This is dad who's with you as you are doing that thing that's really, really scary. But dad knows how to do it because he's done it a hundred times. And you are willing to try it because dad is nearby. This is that mentor who, who knows you can do it and he's kind of putting you out there in that scary place. You know you can do it because he is nearby. The Lord is near. <sighs> okay, I don't have to be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here it is. And the peace of God... It's not our peace. It's nothing that we earned. It's a supernatural experience. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. This is my favorite phrase. Transcends all understanding. When you have the peace of God, which doesn't make sense in the moment, because I'm in chains, and I'm being trapped, and I'm stuck, or my wife's about to leave me, or my boss is mad at me, or my kid has leukemia, or, 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 or. But all of a sudden, I have this peace of God, which doesn't make any sense. And guess what it guards? Isn't this fascinating? It guards your hearts, emotions, and it guards your minds, cognitive, in Christ Jesus. All three are in there. Fascinating experience. That's why we can have a guaranteed way to alleviate some of this anxiety. And then he goes on to say, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He was a good CBT. He was doing a little cognitive behavioral therapy right there. Think about the good things, okay? He incorporates that in. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And there it is, the God of peace will be with you. This is why I believe that we can have peace 
in anxiety. I actually had a list of about 15 names to call this series, and I landed on peace in anxiety because we don't always uh, remove ourselves from the anxious situations, but we can have peace that transcends all understanding. Wouldn't that be nice? That is the hope we are given. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This is the payoff now. All of this stuff to say, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know that it is, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether we fed, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And what's the next phrase? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It is not our thinking ability that gets us out of anxiety. It's not our regulating our emotions through deep breathing and meditation that gets us out of anxiety. It's not eating the right foods, and it's definitely not exercise, okay? I can do all things through him who gives me strength because I have learned the secret. He just told us the secret. Isn't that fascinating? Because we have a God who loves us. Because he suffered and died for us. And because we have a hope in eternity. We can let go of the temporal things here and now. We don't have to be afraid of loss. We don't have to be afraid of loss. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. This is one of the last phrases in the, in the passage. It was good of you to share in my troubles. The easiest and the best way to go through this is with another human being. I know there are some here, again, who are struggling with parenting issues, who are struggling with chronic pain, who are terrified about finances, who have really bad relationships, who have trauma histories and family issues. This is the purpose of refuge right here, so that you can share in each other's troubles and remind each other of this hope. Remind each other, I know you're going through this and I know it's discouraging, I know it's hard. You are being refined and I'm not gonna leave you alone in this. And even though it hurts right now, you have a hope. And so you can let go of that relationship or you can let go of that person or you can let go of that job or you can let go of this history. You can let go and you can let go. And this isn't the just, just I gotta let it go and let God kind of thing. Okay? It's not that. That's too simplistic. It's okay to actually acknowledge your feelings. I hate this. I don't like this. In fact, this is fascinating because this is the same guy who just wrote all of that. This is Corinthians, okay? Second Corinthians. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, <laughs> a messenger of Satan. That's what we should call this. My, you know, this thing in my life is a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. This is Paul who just said all of those things. Here's how we handle this. We have a hope. And yet, here's this thing that is driving him crazy. And he, he flat out asked for it. I don't want it anymore. God, will you take this from me? Please take it from me. Three times. In fact, I would argue Christ did that. Lord, I don't want to have to go to the cross, but if it's your will, I will. Okay? Very human. Acknowledge it. Okay? Speak out. 
to avoid the freak out. This is how it works. Okay, anyone know what he said? You want to know what he said? Okay, but he said to me, but God said to me, oh wait, sorry, we're going to go back. In order to keep me from being conceited, what type of attitude is that? I'm going through this really crappy, crappy situation so I don't get too proud. Could we say that of our struggles right now? Could we say that of the thing that we are, we are willing or, or struggling with and, and don't want to lose or we hurt with? This is in here, and I am being humbled by this. I am being humbled by this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Because you are weak, because you are struggling, watch what I will do. You're going to be amazed. It's going to be awesome. Watch what I can do. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. That's Paul. I will boast about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I will, oh, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. We should do that one Sunday. Anyone want to stand up and boast how weak they are? How, how much struggling they are? How bad they are at something? Let's just boast, okay? It's your turn. Now it's your turn. Tell me how terrible you're doing at this thing. That would be a really weird church service. And yet, we do it so that when we are weak, he is strong. Uh, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. Okay, this is uh, earlier in the passage. Uh, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. We thought we were going to die. It was that bad. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. How many of you right now can think of the thing that's creating the anxiety inside you and go, this feels like a death sentence. This feels like I was cursed. This feels like it's not fair. This is how bad it is. And again, I know some of you walking into this room right now are carrying that. This hurts like hell. And I want out. And some of you actually considered that. I can't handle this anymore. I want out permanently out. You are in good company. This is what Paul says. We felt that we had despaired of life itself and we had felt like we received a death sentence. But this happened. Here's why. That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Again, try to convince people of that. Who raised the dead. See, we always go back to that concept. You don't stay hurting. BMW video last time. We are designed to heal. We don't stay in pain. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Good news. You're hurting. You're struggling. I understand. And it will not stay that way forever. Maybe in this life, definitely in the next. That is what you have to look forward to. Let's 
get to a couple more here. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Does he hear the anxiety, the lack of anxiety there? We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. That's an interesting way to phrase that. I'm in chains. I thought I was going to die. I thought I got a, cur a curse, a death sentence. I thought that I have this thorn in the flesh that I begged God to take away from me. Let's get rid of it. And what does he call it? Oh, for these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweigh them all. So, what do we do with that? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. That's the magic recipe. The things that are happening right now will not last, no matter how much you have of it, no matter what guarantees you can have. The things that you can see, the temporal stuff on earth right now, will not last. But the things that you can't see, they're the things that go away. I mean, those are the things that last forever, sorry. That would be kind of wrong. This is New Testament stuff. You wanna see what it looks like, Old Testament, old school style, okay? I mean, this, is, this message is prevalent throughout Scripture. This isn't just one writer. This is the entire message of Scripture. It's fascinating. Let's go on to Daniel. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? If you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? You know, I win. <laughs> You're going to die. Do what I say. I win. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Doesn't sound like a lot of anxiety to me. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, even if we die, guess what? We want you to know, your majesty, polite at least, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They are willing to lose everything. Hear the recipe? Because we have a hope. We know that our God will rescue us. We have a lot of examples from Scripture that we could look at. David and Goliath, we have Job, we have Moses, Jonah, Daniel, again, Paul. The 12 spies, okay, two of them came back and said, we can take the land. Ten of them go, what I can see with my eyes freaks me out. Let's not. Let's run away and hide. Two of them said, let's go for it, Joshua and Caleb. We can take them. Christ, all of those. This is all Paul talking. This is all what he's kind of using his own life. I am in chains. I'm going through this. This is what I can do. This is what I want you to do. But if we go to 1 Peter, okay, to this you are called. What are we even called? To suffer. Actually, in this context, in 1 Peter, um, it's actually to say if you have been cursed, don't return um, curses for curses, okay? Return blessing for curses. For this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We do not have a God who says, I am expecting all of you to die. 
and trust me. He's not saying, I want you to just to go in blindly. He says, I will show you what this looks like. I'm going to show up in person and I will go through it with you. Again, a lot of us question, why do we have to go through these really hard things? Why do we have to suffer? Why can't God just make it all go away? Why can't we stop our pain? You want to know the answer? I have no idea. I truly don't. Because in my mind, I like that recipe. What I do know is God says, when you have to go through that, you don't have to go through it alone. I'm not going to ask you to do that by yourself. I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to show you how to go through it. And even if it doesn't work out and you lose your life, you win. You have a hope. We have a, Christ, we have a God in Christ who says, I don't want you to have to suffer alone. Now, here's the reality. This is not easy. Would you agree, ladies and gentlemen? The idea of this is not easy at all. Our survival brain says, I don't want to get hurt again. I know what it feels like to get hurt. I've been in pain. I don't want to feel that anymore. Okay? Our Western culture brain says, I'm supposed to be self-actualized. I'm supposed to stand up for my rights. I'm, not I'm supposed to not let anyone uh, walk over me or take away my rights from me. Our parenting brains go, you got to be kidding me. If anyone tries to hurt my, my little kiddo, mama bear is going to show up. Okay? And I know those feelings. I know those feelings. I sleep with a baseball bat next to my bed. No joke. Because if someone comes in my house, I'm going to swing the bat first and ask questions second. My parenting brain doesn't want anything to happen to my kiddos. My husbanding and wifing brain goes, I don't want anything to happen to my spouse. I love my wife too much. And if someone tries to hurt her, man, I'm going to stand right in the middle of that. I don't want anything bad to happen to her. Or, yeah, try to have something happen to me and my wife's around. You're going to see a whole new side of our relationship. It's going to be really fun. We, we struggle with this concept about being taken advantage of and being hurt and not defending ourselves. And yet, where does it turn out? Where does it lead to? It leads to this anxiety. It leads to this fear. It leads to this stress that we can't overcome. For the last 16 years, I've been a trauma therapist. Ladies and gentlemen, I've heard stories that have brought tears to my eyes and I have wept with my clients. I have had all sorts of feelings for their stories and things I want to do to the people that have hurt them in ways that are atrocious. And again, I've asked the question, why God? Why would you let this happen? Why in the world, how in the world could you let this happen? Again, the reality is, is I can't offer easy answers to my clients. I can't, because I can't explain some of it. What I can offer is the same thing that Paul offers, which is I can offer hope. We have an eternal hope. And when we have that, we don't have to fear. We don't have to live in anxiety anymore if we're willing to let ourselves go through that. Now, as a professional counselor, I believe in the science of helping people. Okay, we're talking about this belief level. I believe in the science of actually helping people. But I also believe that I and each of you 
is a child of God created in his image, and he will not leave you alone in what you are going through. And when we can start to understand that on this deep of a level that Paul's outlined for us, then our anxiety can change. Then we can actually be free of that, of that core of anxiety. For me, and this is the last verse I'll put up there because it's one you've already seen, but for me, this is the core of how to go through this, okay? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, outweighs the troubles. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So here's my question for you, ladies and gentlemen. What have you fixed your eyes on? If you were to answer that question honestly, what have you fixed your eyes on? And is that leading to the anxiety and the fear you're carrying in your life? Our light and momentary troubles. Everyone, take a deep breath for me. Put your hands up. You don't have to stand up. Just put your hands up. Stretch. Oh. Stretch out this way. Try not to hit the person next to you. Oh. One more deep breath. Maybe that deep breathing thing does work. Hmm. Um, we have a little bit of time, so I'll, I wanted you to kind of chew for a second. Any thoughts, any questions, any pushback? Because again, for me, this challenges some stuff inside me, and this is a very kind of informal place to wrestle through these. If you have a, yeah, but what about Paul question, or... Um, a particular scenario that you'd like to kind of work through getting your head wrapped around some of this, that's what this time is for. I want to give you a chance to kind of work through that. If not, then we'll have a early evening. I see your hand back there. Let me grab. <coughs> Perfect. Oh, hold on. I don't. Let's see. RF mute off. Hello, hello. One, two. Try that. I was just wondering if you could unpack, unpack uh, the verse um, for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling a little bit more and how that relates to not being anxious. Yeah, isn't that a good one? Um, do you remember the very first week when we talked, I talked about the difference between anxiety and fear? Oh, sorry, you weren't here. So let me explain a little bit. Um, anxiety is trying to predict the, um, the danger that's coming up, but it's not actually right in front of you. It's not, it's not a actual threat. It's actually good to be afraid when there is a guy standing in front of you with a big hammer trying to hit you on the head. That is a situation that actually warrants legitimate fear. I am afraid because it's an actual threat. Anxiety is this concept of I'm trying to prevent or be prepared for something that could possibly 
be a threat out there in some day. Um, and I'm kind of obsessing about it. I'm kind of focusing on it. It's this idea of if I look at the thing that's scaring me the most, then I'll be comforted in some way. Again, it doesn't make much sense, but that's how our brains get wired. As we focus on it, then it'll, it'll actually um, create more, more um, uh, peace with inside. So working out this idea of fear and trembling is actually probably more of this uh, uh, concept of a respect thing. This is what Christ has done for us. This is how he sacrificed for us. Um, I am standing before the, the God Almighty, and he is so powerful, and I am so unworthy. It's actually the reason that I'm standing right here in bare feet. Okay, if anyone noticed, I actually, I teach with no shoes on. Has that been weird to anybody? I do it on purpose, not because of comfort, because I love the concept of the story of Moses. And when he was approaching the burning bush, he took off his sandals and he goes, the ground that I'm standing on, I'm not worthy. And I actually consider this time as I get to spend with you, um, Hopefully you don't see me. Again, if you never remember my name, that's fantastic. But I want you to be remembering the, the concept, and I want you to see Christ, and I want you to hear God through some of the things I say here. So I consider this kind of sacred space, and so I walk around with no shoes on. It's kind of weird, but it's what I do. And so the fear and trembling is more of that Moses moment of fear and trembling. It's not a, this is dangerous and I'm going to be killed kind of thing. It is holy cow, look what I'm going to attain. This is, this is what I am uh, I'm part of. Is that, that closer? It's a good question, though. Anyone else? Have microphone, will travel. Yes. Perfect. I was wondering if you could speak to oh, you, the concept of serving and giving, like you were talking earlier about like the boss that's not a great yeah. boss and how um, I'm wondering if some people here are maybe in relationships where they're maybe in kind of a codependent dynamic or the victim and the controller's like, yes, this is where I want you to serve me in all the ways, keeps her in the it's bottomless, they'll, they'll take yeah. it all. Yeah. Um, it's a wonderful question. And there's actually some remarkably clear answers. Again, not always the easiest to hear, but super, super clear and super, super easy to understand. Might just be a little harder to follow. Um, let me pull up my magic um, thing here. I go through there. Um, first Peter. First Peter. I'll, I'll, run, I'll run out First Peter's argument for you really quick here so you can kind of get a grasp for, of it. First Peter uh, 1, first few chapters says, we have an inheritance that's in heaven waiting for us that is unfading, undefiled, waiting for us. We have an inheritance. Can you imagine if the world's richest man out there says, I want to adopt you, Paul, okay? Actually, what's your name? Jeremiah. Jeremiah? I want to adopt you, Jeremiah. I have everything in my heart's desired, and, and I want to adopt you as my son, so that when I die, you get an equal portion of everything that I own. How would that feel? Security and future security. Exactly. And it'd be cool if you can go to the bank, and that money's already deposited in there, and so your $2,500 that used to be in the bank, okay, is now, you know, $250 billion dollars. And every time you go spend something, you go back to the bank and it's still that same amount. Unfading, undefiled waiting for us. Okay? Because Christ actually has adopted us. Romans. We are children. We won the lottery, everybody. We have everything that we need. 
Okay? So that's the opening of 1 Peter. And then he goes on to say, right after that, um, but whenever you have these little bit of problems, we can handle it. Okay? We, actually, let me get to it really fast here. I'd like to read it instead of me kind of um, talking about it. It's better when you read it. Uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1. But not King James. Uh, NIV. There we go. Um, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, um, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed. In this you greatly rejoice. In what? We got all this stuff. We got this inheritance. In this you greatly rejoice, um, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So again, he acknowledges, you're going to suffer and you have all these problems, but we can rejoice because we got this inheritance. That's the whole foundation of 1 Peter. And then he goes on to give three examples. Do you know what he uses as examples? <laughs> oh, man. The first one is government, okay? He talks about how do we relate to a government that we don't like? It's kind of an issue that none of us really have to deal with right now. I mean, it's kind of an arbitrary argument. But for, for some people, they get kind of dissatisfied with the government. And how are we supposed to relate to a government that we don't like? Okay? That's First Peter 2. Second argument, slaves and masters. You can actually put into their uh, occupation stuff. Um, let's see here. Slaves. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Okay, that's pretty clear. Submit yourselves. Here's the hard part. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Really? Are you kidding me? Again, who wants to sign up for that club? Because my boss is a jerk. I could do the job better than he can. He doesn't, he has no idea how to treat us. And you are telling me that I am supposed to um, submit to him? Why? For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Again, if we unpack that verse, it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain, he admits it hurts. He doesn't say, oh, if you submit to this rotten boss, it's going to feel good. No. No. We bear up under the pain of unjust suffering. You are suffering. You are hurting. This is crappy. And it is not fair. Really, really, really clear. Really clear. Because they are conscious of God. Again, this is great. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Okay? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And then there's that phrase again. It's a horrible phrase in Scripture. To this you were called. This is actually where I got the verse up there. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. So again, it's, it is super clear. It is unfair. It is suffering. And it hurts. And if you do it, well, you can do it because what can he take from you? Again, back to the example of the bank account. You just came out of the bank, 250 billion, with a B, billion dollars. And some guy comes up to you and says, give me all the money in your wallet. There you go. Right? 
In fact, apparently you really need some money. You're really hurting right now. Let me give, write you a check for $1,000. Here you go. Will that help? Because you go back into the bank and you have the, the bank account that says, I, I didn't even touch it. I have this inheritance. So what else do you need? Do you have any friends that need any help? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me do this for you. When we have an inheritance outside of ourself, that is how we can endure suffering. Not because we just muscle through it. Not because we think happy thoughts or because we deep breathe or meditate. That's not how we do it. When we know, when we have facts that Christ died for us, we are his children, we have a share in his inheritance. If someone like my boss mistreats me, it's like, you know what? Let me go ahead and take care of that for you. Let me, let me, let me do something loving for you. One of my favorite examples of this, and it still blows me away uh, because it's a rel fairly relevant uh, topic, uh, a church I attended many, many years ago found out that there was gonna be a pro-choice demonstration out in front of their church uh, on one Sunday morning. And this church, uh, the leadership sat down and go, how are we going to handle this? Because it's a very contentious, you know, pro-life, pro-choice, um, very volatile topic. How are we going to handle this? What are we going to do? And the strategy they came up was brilliant. I just loved it. Because the morning that they knew they were going to be out there, um, actually the weather was going to be pretty bad. So they, the church rented, at their expense, they rented covers, tents and put it out on the sidewalks where these people could walk and not get rained on. They set up tables with coffee and donuts, and they sent the kindest, sweetest little old ladies out there to serve them. Here you go. Can I get you some donuts? What else would you like? Wow. I mean, a lot of churches go, okay, let's gear up. Let's get ready for the fight. I'm, I'm going to come out, and I'm going to stand my position. I'm going to tell you what I believe, and then they're going to tell you what they believe. And, and you're going to defend your rights because they're your rights. Nope. We're going to serve you. Here you go. The protest lasted about a quarter of how long it was going to last, and everyone left. And actually, the next week, one of the people who was one of the protesters actually went and attended the church and actually had a meeting with a, one of the pastors later on. He said, um, we didn't know what to do. We had never been greeted with that kind of response ever. And we didn't know how to stay mad because we, we thrive on being mad. And when this little old lady gave me a donut and a cup of coffee, how do you stay mad at that? This is how it works. It costs you something. The cost of a tent, donuts, coffee, your dignity possibly. But when you win someone over. So, 1 Peter, three examples of this. You have an inheritance and it's going to be hard. Government, employing, employee boss thing, and marriage, couples. Because none of you ever, ever have to deal with this issue within your relationships of your spouse doing something that bugs you or hurts you or offends you in some way, right? It's just, I mean, this again, it's all theoretical in Scripture because it was written a long time ago and it's old and it doesn't really apply to our lives. Marriages all over the place struggle with this. But again, if we could go into our marriages the same way we have the attitude of going into parenting, which says, I'm going into this marriage and I'm going to try to outserve you. I'm going to give more than I get gladly. And again, not in a codependent, I have to do this so that I'm worthy and I feel good about myself and I now have purpose, so I'm going to go find some messed up person and see if I can rescue them. That's codependency that's actually highly selfish and um, highly manipulative. That's not what Scripture talks about. Okay, let's be really, really clear. 
But when you go to someone and go, you are mistreating me and I still want to serve you and I'm not going to get anything back. So when you've yelled at me, I don't have to yell at you. Again, just this week, I heard the story of a woman who made a simple mistake, like leaving the garage door open or something like that. And her husband proceeded to uh, criticize her on that one decision and then laid on all the other, here's why you do that, because you are incapable and you're incompetent and you're stupid and you do this all the time and character assassination after character assassination because that's really loving and that builds intimacy and trust in a relationship. And, but that is, again, when our, when our selfish desires get, um, get uh, compromised in some way, we oftentimes lash out versus, okay, you made that mistake. How can I help you? How can I help you? rectify it, make it better. So 1 Peter is a fantastic book to go through. My wife and I actually do a lot of teaching and speaking on marriages, and our entire thing is based on 1 Peter, because that is the only way to actually make it through marriage nowadays. Because whether you know it or not, my wife is imperfect, um, and I am way more so than she is, so she has to be pretty gracious to be married to me. Yes? Okay, I'll see if I can figure out my own question, but submitting to unjust suffering then could be remaining in a situation of trauma, potentially. Great question. In which case, is there anything different or in addition you might say to these ideas of anxiety and fear and even their interplay with one another? Yep, that's the trauma therapist in me who actually spends many, 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 many hours of my week helping people get out of those situations. So here's, here's the answer I have for that because that is, um, it's a tricky one, but it's not actually that tricky, okay? Uh, and here's how it basically works. Because the same guy who wrote all of this stuff that we looked at here today, when he was mistreated um, within a Roman court, he shows up and he pulls out the legal argument of, I am really confused, guys. How come you are beating and mistreating a Roman citizen without due process? And everyone goes, whoa, time out. We're freaked out now because we're in the wrong. He had an actual legitimate way to get out of a situation, and he used it. He didn't say, I'm just going to endure it if he can get out of it. And it's a, again, it's an appropriate and legal and, 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 uh, and capable, competent way of doing that. Absolutely get out of it. But in the world we live in, there are so many things that we can't control and we just literally can't get out of it um, because we can't control everything in our life. It's those situations that again, anxiety is usually trying to prevent and, and, and scan ahead looking for those and how do we steer around those and we can't anymore. And so instead of trying to avoid all those and being anxious about it, it is having this idea of, I know that I can handle it, and even if I can't handle it, and it costs me everything, what do I got to lose? There's really no downside. Driving on 205 South two days ago, my family's in the car, we're having a good time, and two cars ahead of us, um, all of a sudden swerves around, and there's a big, huge, flat cardboard box, almost like a mattress box, right in the middle of the freeway. And as it went, goes around it, it flips this box up, it comes up full face, comes in front of us, and there's nowhere I can go. And it comes right into the grill of my truck. 
Okay. Fortunately, I'm driving a big old Suburban. So, and you can tell because it's light enough for the air to pick it up, it's probably empty. So it's just a big old piece of cardboard. And it's not really going to hurt anything. But as soon as I saw this thing fly up and come at me, um, the, the instinctual uh, guardian thing inside every man um, actually reached over and grabbed my wife's arm and I said, hold on. As soon as she was looking down at something and it has this big old boom sound and she freaks out and it's stuck to the front of our car. So I'm now driving with basically this huge board in front of us and I can't see anything. And it's like, we got, it's those situations. There's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes that happens physically, sometimes that happens emotionally. So if there are actual ways to get out of situations, absolutely exercise them, get out. Okay? It's appropriate to take legal action sometimes. It's appropriate to take um, emotional boundaries kind of thing. All of those are okay. But some things, that's still not enough. Does that make sense? Back in Corinthians, if we were to continue that argument, if we wanted to look at a whole other passage, um, when believers back in the day were arguing and they were taking each other to court because they were wanting their rights, Paul clearly says, why would you do that? It is actually better to be wronged than to leave such a bad testimony for those who are watching us Christians. And again, how many of us in our 21st century minds love that advice? I would rather be wronged. Next week, I'll actually tell you the story of um, a motorcycle experience I had, um, which is clearly that. And I had to work through, again, I use these sessions to work through my own stuff because I had to work through being flat out completely wrong that cost me a chunk of change. And there's nothing you can do about it. Any other questions? One more or else we'll be done. I'll let you guys go and wrestle with this. Yes, ma'am. I, 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 uh, I hesitate a little bit with this because I think that there are situations where we are called biblically to stand up. We may have to take the wrong, but we also need to stand up, particularly when there are others who are suffering. Yeah. And sometimes we have to challenge rather than just, you know, lay down for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, this isn't saying acquiesce all the time so that you can avoid conflict. Scripture is chocked full of experiences where people take a stand and say, this is right and this is wrong. Christ himself did it. When he walks into the temple and he sees everyone um, selling, selling all the things for the sacrifices and he gets fed up with it and he goes, no, no more. And he kind of tears the place apart. He makes arguments all the time. He actually confronts people and calls them all sorts of names. So this isn't uh, a blanket statement that says if you're in a bad situation, the best tactic is to just roll over and take it. That's not what I'm saying. But there are times when we cannot get out of these things or there are times when you intentionally sacrifice yourself because you do it as a way to serve other people, and you have a hope. And again, it's not a bad ending. This is what a lot of good movies in Hollywood are made about. It's that, it's that person who has to make that decision, that life-ending decision, and it saves everyone else. 
I mean, watch the movie Armageddon with Bruce Willis. It's a, it's a great story. You just, you have to make the call. My hope, my dream, my goal is that you guys would be able to finally get to the core issue of your anxiety and not have to deal with just the symptoms anymore. What have you fixed your eyes on? Because that will answer why you might be struggling with some anxiety. And I want you to be free of that. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.